So our theme in our new sermon series is about my life verse. And uh, this, uh, last week we looked at the particular verses expressed here, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And uh, by the way, uh, one of the most important things about a life verse is that it's memorable. It's wording is memorable. Because it was too complicated, you're not going to remember it. And that's rather simple wording, but I messed it up last week. If you were here, you remember uh, I had trouble getting it right. And then afterwards, uh, Jill Zobris corrected me, and she said the way she remembered this was that alphabetical order. The lamp comes before the light. L-A comes before L-I. And uh, the uh, uh, feet comes before the uh, uh, the path because F comes before P. So now I'll never forget it. I wanted to also mention, I forgot, Tom Dyer is here and he's down at Francis Dyer. His mom was part of this church fellowship in her later years and he's down uh, to give a... Amen. Yes. Yes, he does. Very, very mysterious ways. If you talk to Tom afterwards, you'll find out how mysterious. And uh, he's going to give a scholarship at John Muir High School in his mother's honor tomorrow. Uh, one of the reasons we choose a particular verse is not just as memorable wording, but also it answers a kind of need in our life. And I've tried to summarize the kinds of things that these favorite verses of ours focus on. And uh, one of them is a reminder of who God is. And we need to have that reminder. The second one is a reminder of who I am or who we are. And the third one is perspective. When I look at who God is and who I am, I get better perspective on my problems, on the meaning of life. And then we focus on some of our verses focus on God's promises to me, but others focus on my promises to God. And when you choose a life verse, it's probably for one of those reasons. It speaks to you on that level. For instance, who God is, uh, among the um, memorable life verses that uh, I discovered in studying for this was Lamentations 3, uh, 2223. Now, Lamentations is a woeful book. <laughs> Lament, that's the name of it. It's all about the sorrows of the Israelites. But there's this gem, a statement about God that we are all familiar with. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's where that hymn comes from. Great is your faithfulness. So some people, that is great comfort to remind them of who God is. And then, uh, who am I? We need to be reminded of that. And the kind of verse that may bring that to our mind is something like 2 Corinthians 10, 12, 10. Well, I think one of our members chose that as a, as a life verse. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Now, a lot of times we forget the first part because we don't, we don't like to be content with weaknesses, insults, hardness, persecutions, and calamities. But that last part, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That is a reassurance. The perspective reminder comes to us in verses like uh, Romans 8.31. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So we're feeling the whole world is against us and circumstances and just too much. It's overwhelming. But if God, if we understand who God is and who we are, if he is for us, then who can be against us? So that's why some verses are chosen. And then some verses are just God's promises to me. Uh, an example of this, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our people, uh, as their life verse said, Isaiah 41.10, the last half of that verse, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. That's a promise from God that this person holds on to sometimes for dear life. But then sometimes our life verse is about my promise to God rather than God's promise to me. And that's a, a, a verse that expresses aspiration or it may be self-denial or uh, response or repentance or dedication. But an example of an aspirational verse that what I am promising to God is Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal, toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So when a person is, is down, when they're feeling like giving up, is exactly when they need this verse. And so a lot of people consider that their life verse. As I was <clears throat> thinking about what to focus on this week, a thought came to me, and that is that um, there, there are a lot of people in our society, who, which is basically Christianized or Christian-oriented, who don't know any other Bible verses except the Lord's Prayer. Now, maybe because the priest said, go and say, ten our fathers. So they had to memorize it so they could say, ten our fathers not recognizing that that's a quote from the Bible. And that's Jesus teaching us how to pray. And one of the key phrase, uh, phrases and most memorable in the Lord's Prayer is the text I want to look at today in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. It is very simply, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thought, you know, I'm really con not conscious of having a life's verse, but if, if I had to make a choice right now, um, this, is, this is what comes to my mind. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much is in these few words? How might this speak to us in our life journey when we're going through a struggle and those words come to mind? The first word, your, or in the King James, thy, um, one of the most frustrating things for people who are conscious of English uh, grammar 
is that in modern English, you can be singular and can be plural. In old English, that was not true. You is always plural. So if you read you in the King James Bible, it's always plural. If it's singular, it's thy or thou or thine. So, um, you know, uh, I hate to say the King James is right here, but yeah, from a grammatical point of view. Your will be done on earth, your will. And it reminds us who God is. And all things come to mind because just in the previous part of that prayer, it begins, our father, our father, that's who God is. He's a father. The first first thing about God is not his awesomeness, is not his immensity, is not his magnificence, but the fact that he's a father. Now, the rest of it is there because it says, our father who is in heaven, who is in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Heaven is not defined here, but when the ancients thought of heaven, it's kind of like what we think of up there. It's where whatever the stars are doing, that's heaven. Now it's universe, it's galaxies, it's like light years. We have so much more knowledge of that. And God is all of that. We can think of God's immensity as well as his intimacy. He is the cosmos, but he is still father. That's a wonderful way to begin, just, just in the word. Uh, you're, that, that says who God is. And then the word will. Now, uh, probably more um, theological blood, if theologians have blood, has been spilt over God's will than, than any other subject. Because you've got people who are saying, God's will is irresistible. Whatever God wants is what gets done. God predestined everything. And then there are people who angrily say that can't be so because there's evil in the world. And are we saying God is the author of evil? And then they have all kinds of nuances on this. But, but what is God's will? I am saying in this statement, in this prayer, your will be done, that whatever your will is, that's what I want. And we don't have to make the theological judgment here. We, we know that from our perspective, the will of God is not a done deal. From our perspective, the will of God is not always done. That's our observation. And in our prayer, we're expressing our desire that his will be done. Uh, in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul has an interesting comment on this. He said, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So it all is part of his will in some way or another. And it's all gathered up in a mystery, how that will is determined in our everyday life. And I'm satisfied with the mystery. I don't have any more. Well, in fact, I have fewer answers than when I first went to a seminary to learn about theology, about God's will. But God's will be done in heaven as it is in earth. 
or in earth as it is in heaven. Now the heaven we talked about, whatever that is, that, that other dimension, that ideal place described in the kingdom of God because it says your kingdom come, your will be done. So whatever that is, that's what we're willing in our prayer. That heaven, that ideal, that unreachable potential that we see in creation and in ourselves. Whatever that is, that's what we're stretching for when we say your will be done in heaven as it is in earth as it is in heaven. Now, the, the on earth part is where we live. So what we're saying in this prayer is we want to see God's will controlling everything in our little world, we can't control the whole world, but in our little world, just as much as he manifests his will in heaven, wherever that is, and however awesome in scope. But here in my little life, my little piece of the earth, I want to be part of God's will, just as surely as heaven is part of God's will. That's a powerful prayer. And then when he adds the phrase, be done, thy will be done, is that just a, a statement that we want to be on God's side, whatever happens? Or is it a statement of acknowledgement that God's will is always done, and therefore we're giving him credit for that? Or is it not? A commitment to help make God's will be done. Isn't that included in that prayer? How can you pray it without being willing to do it? So if you're saying, ten our fathers as penance, think of what you're saying. You're saying, I want to be part of changing the world, of making it what God wants it to be, of making it into his his kingdom of making it into heaven. In this life verse, if this should be your life verse, you're making it your goal to be a kingdom builder, a heaven maker. Notice, though, this whole prayer begins with the word O-U-R. It's not my father, it's our father. This is a prayer of a community. This is a prayer of a bunch of individuals who recognize that their lives are incomplete and they are only approximating God's kingdom, but they want to do better. They want to blossom into the kingdom of God, at least here in this church. That's what our Father, that's what your will be done means as we pray it together. That's a powerful commitment. And it is not just a prayer, not just an acknowledgement, but it is a commitment to make this happen, to make God's will happen, and to make my will the same as his, and to make our will the same as his. Sometimes there's a strong current in our life and we feel God. We feel the way he wants to go. We're sure of that, and we want, we're part of that. Other times, the
the current around us is going the opposite direction. But we feel God wants us to go in this direction. It's a strong commitment. Then we better swim upstream as hard and as fast as we can. That's what he's calling us to do. I stumbled on an image that, I, and I could not find it. It was on a blog site. I could not find out who uh, painted this. Uh, but this is a, a, a rendering of what the great Michelangelo Sistine Chapel painting of God, the creator, and the man. But look, here is the heaven and the earth, God's part and our part. And it's our reaching up. Thy will be done in, on earth as it is in heaven. That, ever since I saw that picture, I can't, I can't get it out of my mind. It kind of says to me what this verse says. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the verse I wanted to focus on for today. This is not necessarily going to be your verse, your life verse, but it's an example of how a life verse can encapsulate so much, can say so much to our individual journey. And now, beginning next week, we're going to look at verses that you guys have turned in. Now, I've received 11. I'm expecting the number to be 20 or more after today. And you can put a note on the card in the pew rack. If you have a favorite verse that kind of governs your life or that's been strategic at some point in your life, we would like to look at that. And what we'd like to do, and Connie is a genius, she's going to start this next week. We'd like to find people who are willing to talk about, in a little interview as part of the sermon, talk about why that life verse means so much to you. And we're not going to force anybody. Deborah Hunt is already saying no. <laughs> and that's okay. But some of you are willing to do that. And we're going to talk to you about it. And otherwise, we're just going to share that verse as part of the offering of our fellowship of believers. It's interesting that several verses come up in different people's journeys. And they are meaningful to two or three people, maybe in different ways. So we're going to try to find that out as well. Most important thing is we believe the Bible speaks to us, that it is relevant and real in our everyday lives. And that's what this series is about. How do we make that a reality in the decisions we make, in the way we relate to other people in the way we manifest God's will in this body of believers. So pray for us that we have wisdom as we do this. Let's commit our journey to the Lord. Thank you, dear Father, for being our Father and not just my Father. Thank you for such challenge as laid before us in the scripture, the Old Testament, with its call to high living according to your kingdom in the New Testament with its dramatic presentation through the Lord Jesus Christ and in all of scripture, but especially speak to us through words that can be heart-gripping and gems held on to in our lives. And hopefully, Lord, make them the last thoughts we have as we leave this life. In Jesus' name.
Amen.